Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Belgium's golden generation make it one step closer to the success that they have craved for almost a decade, knocking out Portugal in Seville. Apparently, they call it tournament football. Massis de Litt saw red for a handball and saw Czech Republic simply tear them apart in the second half to confirm a repeat of the 2004 quarterfinal with Denmark in Baku. Is it time now for Frank de Boer to leave the National Post? I am Jake from What If Football and this is the 22nd episode of the Euro Daily Podcast. We are now in the full swing of things in terms of the round of 16 and on our way to the quarterfinals later on this week. We'll be with the quarterfinals, the semifinals and the final all the way up until July the 12th on Acast, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, where you, if you're feeling very, very generous, I would please implore you to give us a like, subscribe on those platforms, maybe even a five-star review if you're being extra generous and we will deliver three days a week content after the Euros on the podcast feed. Seven days a week content on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash whatifootball, where you can also find this podcast right up until its conclusion, and you will receive content, bonus content for the price of a fresh, crisp, cool pint that is £3 a month up here in Yorkshire. Let's get stuck into today's show. Belgium won, Portugal nil. So the team news was Diogo Dallo in at right back, which saw Nelson Semedo binned off after he was picked off at will, seemingly against Germany in the second game. Meanwhile, the midfield shuffled again with Yao Palhina in the midfield for a first start, which meant Bruno Fernandes' continued absence as Renato Sanchez started, which meant that Portugal's midfielders completely changed from the very first game. So we had Bruno in more of a 10 role and we had Danilo and William Carvalho in the double pivot in the first game, first two games. And it's seen a complete overhaul. Yao Moutinho also making up that midfield three last night. Belgium started a defence with all over 30, with Vermaelen, Vertonghen and Alderweireld for the very first time in this tournament. Would Portugal get at them? Nope. Torgan Hazard was selected for left wing-back ahead of Yannick Carrasco as Aiden Hazard's continued fitness was seen in this right up until the end of the match, unfortunately, but we'll get onto that as we, uh, as we go through. So Renato Sanchez, he was in the midfield and I predicted it like yesterday. I said it would be the better option and... Of course, Fernando Santos went for it as Bruno Fernandes isn't really as uh, influential in the in the four three three shape that Santos wants. He's more of a number ten, and he, he, no matter how you want to uh, play him in a four three three, you do naturally drift forward into a creative ten num, num, number ten role, and it doesn't make too much sense for me in the system and how Portugal want to be 
kind of resolute defensively to have Bruno Fernandes in that and uh, Renato Sanchez stuck really in that midfield three and he broke from midfield really with speed he gifted Diogo Jota in behind Thomas Munier for a for a first chance but that was dragged unfortunately wide and Jao Palhinho he was sitting at the base of the midfield three it was very much a Palhinho was a six and then you had two eights in Martinho and Sanchez who were fairly resolute in their defending to be fair Portugal sat quite deep quite often with uh, Jota and Bernardo Silva quite quite deep at times but would um, of course keep close to those Belgium wing backs who of course Mounier is more defensively minded but he was bombing on quite at will quite with regularity really and of course Torgan Hazard is a natural winger so he's and Roberto Martinez does play that way. The left wing back is bombing on a lot more because there's a shortage of left backs in uh, Belgium, apparently, because you've got Yannick Carrasco can also play there. Torgan Hazard also plays there. Nasser Chadley as well, he plays there. But in terms of more attacking options at left wing back for Belgium, Torgan Hazard is there and Jota and Bernardo would rather following them and sticking to his defensive game plan because, as I say, that is tournament football, isn't it? And they were very, very successful five years ago because of it. And of course, that success wasn't here today, uh, last night, was it? They did let Belgium play. It was the first 25 minutes, really, the first half, to be honest, was just light sparring. Gave away for a directness for a little time, but went back to the war of attrition that we, uh, that we saw in the first half. Ronaldo's free kick was probably the first real chance. Jota's drag wide was more of a quarter chance, if that's even a thing. <laughs> And uh, Ronaldo's free kick, he, first real chance in anger, really slapped it against uh, Courtois' gloves and that was probably as close as Portugal came, at least up until the last sort of 20, 25 minutes of the game. It did threaten to open up, but it seems like neither side wanted it. They were playing it like tournament football, conserving energy, tapping the ball away. And um, at the end of this season that we've seen... Uh, Teams all across the board bar, I think, Leeds or maybe Aston Villa press less than what they did last season, the season prior. Um, it's very obvious that uh, we're winding down at the end of this year and they've played a hell of a lot of football and we have seen a lot of these types of games where there's a lot of um, lot of teams passing it around, conserving energy before going into like a 5-10 minute period. England are the most obvious for that type of... Uh, play passages of play that we've seen at this tournament and uh, Belgium provided one moment of uh, one moment of glory here one moment of incisive quality you had Romelu Lukaku holding up the ball from a fairly direct long ball it gets recycled goes around the houses a bit and then Torgan Hazard pops up gifted the freedom of Seville the Olympic Stadium and hits a shot that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo would have been proud of some years ago moves in the air Rui Patricio's he's slightly caught off foot and it swirls past him. Of course, Rui Patricio had great footwork for the saves he made against uh, France in the previous game to save Pogba's shot onto the post. And then, was it Griezmann's rebound? I think it was Griezmann's rebound. Uh, but yeah, his footwork here was off, to be honest. And uh, it was a rare opening in the Portuguese defence and uh, that wouldn't come around again as um, Portugal were a bit tighter in the second half. Going forward, at least in the first half anyway, for times it seems as though Renato Sanchez was the closest player to Ronaldo in an attacking sense, which which is probably by design because 
you, they play a defensive game. They have done the the success five years ago was predicated on uh, defensive uh, quality. Um, Jota and Bernardo Silva, I thought, would have been uh, going at this age in Portuguese defence, getting in behind the wing backs who are exceedingly attacking. At least Tog and Hazard is, and Munier. Munier was getting quite high. He was not um, not spin at solo levels of uh, of uh, breaking the. Uh, breaking up the pitch. I mean, Rafael Guerrero, we've seen him getting very high up the pitch in the first game, not seen it since, really, um, especially not in this game. Um, the fullbacks played more like the English fullbacks in uh, in Seville, unfortunately. Um, João Felix would come on, he'd get close to Ronaldo. It seems as though he's coming on as second striker, but he would uh, drift out to the left, he'd drift out to the right. Fernando Santos changed it in um, innumerable uh, combinations, really. And this was Felix's first involvement on the tournament. 55 minutes, I think he came on. So he got 35 minutes of football in the entire tournament. Andres Silva got likewise. And um, I think like a lot of Portuguese players, at least in the first 70, 75 minutes, did fine up until the end product. And um, as I say, I'm surprised that Portugal didn't target the slow Belgian centre-backs. As the game wore on, my mind was drifting to Rafa Silva, see if he could affect things. He came on against Hungary, didn't he? And Blew that game wide open, wasn't seen here at all. I'm unsure if he was carrying an injury, unsure if he was on the bench, but Rafa Silva is the type of player that, with his speed, it was something that, that uh, I think could have made the Belgian centre-backs think, give him a different problem as opposed to another creative player. So they brought Bruno Fernandes on and he was another creative player who didn't really create all that much like uh, Jota and Bernardo Silva didn't really either. And uh, Yao Felix, he's, he was... He was decent enough, like I said, he was fine. He was uh, he created a chance, a header, and it was comfortably saved. But aside from that, it was just akin to the other players that were on the pitch. There was no different plan. There was no... Like, Santos tried a whole coast of combination. We had Felix on the right, Felix on the left, through the middle. We had Andre Silva when he came on. Through the middle, Cristiano Ronaldo on the left. It's kind of like the, how Spain do it with a... Uh, Moreno on the left or the right took it in. But um, again, didn't work really. And obviously, because... Portugal didn't find the net. They did have good chances. Ruben Diaz from a free header in a corner. Straight at Courtois. Rafael Guerrero hit the post from a knockdown. One of the rare occasions that he burst forward. And uh, Portugal started to throw more at it. Um, Andre Silva had a flick onto Andre Silva, but Courtois smothered it in the end. And for me, they pressured far, far too late. The, the intensity of it was only ramped up with 15, 20 minutes to go, and it should have been a lot... lot um, lot sooner, more in the uh, half-time break, more than anything it should have come out and created a lot more from that. But as we say, Belgium, playing tournament football the way it's supposed to be played, scrappy little 1-0, providing very few opportunities on goal, really. Tog and Hazard had that that one great shining light of quality, didn't really. In the, what was going to be a game, it was either going to be like a, a proper topsy-turvy ding-dong 3-2 battle or one of these attritional one nils and unfortunately for the neutral at least it was the latter Aiden Hazard I thought was a lot sharper in this game he used to look as though he's coming up to fitness and he looked a lot better he's uh, taking the ball from deep and he was carrying it a lot better a lot sharper a lot quicker on the ball looking to find Romelu Lukaku as well unfortunately he would go off with a hamstring twinge twinge is what Belgians will be hoping and of half 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 course as a neutral you want it to be more of a twinge. Kevin De Bruyne, of course, came off at half-time. Eerily similar to me to the uh, Harry Maguire ankle injury, which was a ligament damage which kept him out for six weeks. 
which I think De Bruyne's tournament's over, unfortunately. He tried to run it off, came off after two minutes after half-time, and that's I think that's the difference for Belgium now between quarter-finals and uh, going deep in the tournament. Hazard and De Bruyne, against, not, none of them against Italy, would it does serve to... Uh, make the mountain that much steeper, doesn't it, uh, for this uh, ending of, well, infinite amount of years of hurt because they've never won an uh, international tournament, have they? Obviously, they've been waiting since 1980 to reach a final. But, of course, um, Italy next in Munich, which will be a superb game. Dries Mertens came on for injured uh, De Bruyne. He was a li- little bit wider. Um, I thought he could have offered something a little bit different for Belgium, but, of course, the remit at that time was... Uh, Keep it tight defensively. Allow Belgium, allow Portugal to play in the second half, and then survive the onslaught from the final twenty minutes. And um, I thought the wing backs played a vital, vital role. Obviously, Hazard with the goal, but uh, the wing backs pushed Diogo Dallo and Rafael Guerrero back a lot. Uh, Bernardo Silva and Jota followed them and sort of stymied Portugal's work at least in the first seventy-five minutes to a great, great deal. And uh, Portugal didn't really, as I say, they weren't incisive throughout the entire game apart from maybe the few final chances in the last minutes but left it too late and I thought Romelu Lukaku didn't score didn't add to his uh, golden boot hunt but his tireless running I thought relieved a lot of pressure countless times uh, for Belgium and that's one of the great qualities we've seen it against uh, Denmark a couple of weeks ago where his tireless running in the channels created two goals then effectively and he did it again today he didn't obviously assist or didn't score but I think he uh, Relieved a lot of pressure from Belgium at much needed times. Belgium, when they were scoring, I think that is a good game plan to hand for Belgium. Score and then sit back extremely deep with, of course, with these uh, centre-halves who they're not going to ever play a high line with three 32-plus-year-old uh, defenders in the in the uh, back line. And I think that sort of works. The pragmatism from Roberto Martinez works. Obviously, you have the experience from Vermaal and Vertonghen out of and their experience sitting much deeper is um, going to be a challenge for for all for all defense. I can see him taking that route with the same back line, the same three in the defense. Obviously, these question marks over Denier's decision making is a bit prone to a to an error, isn't it? Really, as we've seen against Denmark, Boyata maybe might come in um, for a bit more recovery speed. But I think I think the three they go with. Here is the three that go with on Friday against Italy in Munich. And they will sit deep because Italy will look to um Italy will look to play very high up the pitch and I have a feeling Italy will have preferred to play Belgium because of this because they want they previously have come out to play, but I think Roberto Marti is now at the business end of the tournament, quote unquote. Belgium will become more and more pragmatic and more and more sit more and more deeper and especially if there's no De Bruyne if especially there's no Hazard of course Belgium have a glut of talent on the left hand side they'll probably bring in Carrasco or Mertens alternatively on the left hand side or could bring uh, Mertens on the right hand side if De Bruyne doesn't make it and uh, a Carrasco Togan Hazard left sided combination which I had very I thought had potential had legs in the first in the first game or two because of the interchangeability of them. I think, obviously, as I say, whichever happens, if they, if they keep fit, Kevin De Bruyne and Hazard, and if they're able to continue, there is still France in the semi-finals. So I think that's the end of the road for them either way. But with those 
injuries, I think it's probably going to be the end of the road on Friday against Belgium, against Italy rather. After this short break, we'll take a look at the 2021 trivial teaser. Welcome back. So, we had three correct answers on the 2021 trivial teaser yesterday. Of course, the answer was Jaden Sancho. Well done to Dean, Jake and George. Usual correct answers there from those three and well done. If you think you know the answer to the following teaser, you can tweet me at what if underscore YouTube like those fine lads did. Today, I am a central attacking midfielder, as FIFA categorises it. Some of my managers have been Mark Hughes and Jurgen Klopp. Some of my teammates have been Mo Salah, Alexander Dragovic, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, Frank Ribéry and the mighty Charlie Adam. Again, I am an attacking midfielder. I've been managed by Jurgen Klopp and Mark Hughes and I've played alongside Mo Salah, Alexander Dragovic, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, Frank Ribéry and Charlie Adam. Find out the answer on tomorrow's show. Now we are going to the Netherlands versus Czech Republic after this short, short break. Welcome back. So, the Netherlands, they went with one of my suggestions from yesterday. Daniel Marlin and Memphis Depay up front, which against this Czech defence, this lumbering slow, sort of destroying Czech defence, I thought that was the way to go. And obviously it's the result states. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but obviously the result states otherwise. Czech, Czech Republic shows the fine time to ditch Jakub Jankto as uh, Antonin Barak came back into a 4-2-3-1 and uh, Savicic came into the uh, left wing spot of Jankto as well. And to be fair, you've got to say it's been justified, obviously, with the result. And um, let's go to the Dutch, shall we? Dutch, going forward, we've seen the, the signal of intent within a minute. Patrick van Aanholt to Denzel Dumfries, crossfield ball, extremely attacking wing-backs, and uh, that is their, how they would play it. Denzel Dumfries was given even more licence than ever before, I believe he was so attacking, it was unreal, um, even driving into central areas, um, going above and beyond those little diagonal runs that he made, that curved runs, and I thought he was, he's, he was the main focal point of the attack, which... Against this slow, slow um, Czech defence, obviously they prefer to play against like a Harry Kane who's going to drop deep, who's a bit slower. And that's why I think that De Boer went with uh, Daniel Marlin and Denzel Dumfries, uh, Memphis to pie up front rather. It seemed as though Denzel Dumfries was a, playing as a striker at some point. And then they never really got caught out. Maybe the, maybe the red card incident, there was a bit where Dumfries could have been uh, occupying that space where Delit received the ball. But um, aside from that, Denzel Dumfries has been largely um, unpunished for going so high in this right wing back role. Of course, you've got Daniel Marlin. He was mo- very mobile in the channels. Genie Wijnaldum was occupying in between the defensive and midfield lines as he, off- as he has done for the Dutch in this number 10 role. Their highest goal-, uh, goal scorer with three goals at this tournament. And that's where, of course, it will end. They look to win the ball high up with the wing backs very, very high so they could capitalise on it. I thought that... Um, We'd predicted that um, Owen Weindahl would start in left wing-back role. I'm surprised that Patrick Van Arnold started every game, to be fair. Started every meaningful game anyway. I was just thought that uh, Weindahl could match Dumfries on that left-hand side. And we could have more of a more of a 3-2-5 with, of course, Wijnaldum joining the attack. And I thought that would have uh, worked a lot better with uh, never, less, never letting them rest. I don't think Van Arnold had that... Um, had that same energy, really. 
and I always thought that they were a bit like Portugal in the in the uh, in the entire game here um, from the Portugal's first half display. They always looked as though they were final chance, final pass away from creating something at least in the first half, and again to be fair in the second half as well. Memphis Depay, he was coming, he's dropping deep, he was creating with sharp movement, he was attempting these cute little passes. One instance, um, fed Patrick Van Arnold and he dragged wide, similar a bit to uh, Diogo Jota as well later on in the night. Um, you can see with, obviously, with uh, Memphis and Marlin against, you know, Chaluska and uh, Kalas in the Czech defence, the, there was an instance where they could have been a whipped cross into the box and it would have been, it would have been useless, pointless, fruitless and uh, obviously they recycle the ball as is the Dutch way, really, recycle the ball. And um, I felt that they needed Wijnaldum to even almost be like a nine or uh, be an extreme version of Frank Lampard, arriving deep into the box, late into the box, to make these crosses worthwhile. Obviously, that's not the Dutch game, really, to uh, just keep pinging crosses into the ball, obviously, without even with, without, uh, without Vegas on the bench. Vegas could have been an option, really, against these Czech defenders, but I do think that... Um, with Wijnaldum, with Memphis Depay's sharp passing, with Wijnaldum's movement, with uh, Marlin in the wings, you know, cutting in, I do think there was. I do think this is the better option. Obviously, it would fall down in early on in the uh, early on in the second half because of a refereeing decision. And um, I do think at times it was um, it was a lack of lack of imagination. Really, they had, they were over reliant on Dumfries. It was just never it just never came to fruition what they were trying to do and I thought they were almost there it was just like as Twitter stated on Twitter the Netherlands are like the footballing equivalent of uh, needing a sneeze and holding a sneeze in and they just they always think it's just going to explode but it just doesn't I think I've used that analogy before on the podcast I, it just it frustrated me because they've got all the talent there and I think all the personnel is right but it just didn't click it just didn't click and Dumfries yeah I think he was a bit they were a bit over reliant on him obviously is looks like he's going to earn the big move to Everton, which doesn't make any sense for anybody really if they're going to continue to play with a four because Dumfries probably works better in a five because of how attacking he is. He'd probably be much suited to a five where a, a left back is more defensively minded, a bit like Belgium where they have like a, an attacking fullback and a attacking wing back and a more defensively minded wing back. And um, I don't think this proposed move to Everton solves anybody's problems really. And um, he was used as an outball. He could obviously carry the ball. He's obviously quick. Same with Marlon, same with Memphis. It just didn't all converge on the same point. And Wijnaldum, if I think if he's... Uh, if his movement was a little bit, little bit better into the box and he was a bit more attacking, they might have uh, found him with something there. Obviously, after the red card, Vout Vagos comes on for Martin Duran. A bit more direct, but... Um, it sort of lurched towards more desperation, and after the uh, after the after the red card, it, it, traffic only seemed to be going one way, and it seemed almost inevitable. As it happened, obviously you lose your your biggest defensive asset. But um, the Netherlands were, were, they were tested defensively for the first time, and obviously before the before the red card, I thought they were passing that test. They're mopping up wayward balls. Frankie de Jong would drop into Daley Blind's position. Daley Blind would push on almost as a left-back with Van Arnold, almost as a left-winger at times. And I thought Frankie de Jong there, dictating from deep, almost in a left-centre-back position. I thought that was a um, good insurance policy. Great. Uh, Frankie de Jong's fantastic on the ball. You know, he's an Ajax graduate, a footballer for Barcelona. He's, you know, he's obvious. 
And then we would see Netherlands tested to the extreme there. Delit sent off for the handball that was scooping away. And I think it is a handball. Still not that podcast discussing refereeing decisions, but I think it was a handball. But with both with 10 men and how defensively shoddy they were against Ukraine without Delit, um, we would see how they would uh, cope with that again. And um, approaching with the decisions that Frank Dubar made from the bench in terms of in terms of talent brought on I wasn't sure of what he was trying to do there if he was keeping it a four or he was keeping with a three with Van Hanel moving into left centre back when uh, it was Quincy Promise came on I don't know if he was a wing back I don't know if he was trying to be a central forward I don't know what he was trying to do um, it seemed as though they, they were just stunned and all over the place really Dumfries of course remained high so he was always going to be that right wing back so it's almost like a three in possession far out of possession with uh, Van Arnold told to uh, stick back a little bit more with uh, Div Ryan Blind in the centre-back roles. And they were wobbly at best in the back. They couldn't deal with Czech Republic. And obviously the inevitable happened from a set-piece as well, which they were always going to uh, create from a set-piece. Czech Republic, uh, Thomas Kallas headed to Thomas Hollesch, who had a fantastic game in the middle of the park for um, for Czech Republic. Um, he's definitely justified his continued... continued uh, appearance in the double pivot ahead of Alex Krell and he heads a goal in and of course it helps that the Dutch were down to 10 men of course it helps that they were missing their best two centre-backs of course Virgil van Dijk Mathis de Litt. but still you're given a, a huge alarm in your ear as a uh, as a manager from the touchline your best central your best defenders um been sent off do you want to shore the game up defensively and Debos chose to fight fire with fire, brought on Promise, brought on Veghorst, brought on, you know, Berghaus. It wasn't a swallowing of the pride, bringing on a centre-half for a, for a front man to retain that shape, at least defensively. And it just, this is just what happens when a defensively weak team loses their biggest asset at the back with um, Dilik coming off. They were in, they were unstable against Ukraine. As I said, they were playing almost like a one four five. I still can't comprehend what that what they were trying to do against Ukraine. Kamikaze defending there. Kamikaze here from corners and from open play as well. And I just think that the ball has shown himself up in that situation in those high pressure stakes. To uh, obviously, he's got a lot of stick before the tournament. I thought a lot of it was a bit harsh. And um, but when you get to the nitty gritty here, so to speak. Um, it just goes to show why there was um, all that criticism as well. I'm, I'm not going to criticise him for the shape. Obviously, that plane flew over saying D- ditch the 3-5-2, go with the 4-3-3. I think the shape was fine. And I thought there was a re- good reason for the shape. I would have had a f- probably would have had Wijndal in position as opposed to uh, Van Harnold. But you know, it's, that's just nitpicking. And I thought they were good enough really with that team on that pitch to... Uh, test the checks and trouble the checks but uh, something in the final third didn't click and obviously once a red card happens there needs to be a swallowing of pride revert to the change it to a 3-5-1 take Marlon off and bring a defender on bring Ake on or you know do do something that's um, just accepting what's what what your lot is in this game obviously you have 10 men you're just going to have to just shore it up and keep it tight for 15, 20 minutes and just look to hit them on the counter. Obviously, you've got Memphis, you've got Denzel Dumfries is more than willing to run. We all know that now. Wijnaldum playing as a 10, you know, you've got the players on the pitch to sort of still win a match with 10 men. I just thought it was... I was very disappointed with the Dutch. 
Czech Republic on the other hand they were fantastic after the uh, red card decision they utilised their width after the man advantage very very well obviously they knew their they knew their advantages over the Netherlands obviously despite the you know extra personnel but you've got you've got Suchek in the uh, in the middle of the park you've got uh, Patrick Schick all you know dominant men who can head a ball you know Hollish attacking from deep as well and they carved the Dutch up and after the first goal they carved them up Hollish with a run and I thought he was absolutely man of the match if he hasn't won another man of the match there's no justice whatsoever but he makes that run beyond the uh, Dutch defence and there's, there's absolutely nobody Nobody, uh, you know, with any defensive responsibility in the uh, Dutch team, it seemed at this stage. The heads had gone, they were pushing for a goal, obviously, they needed to at this stage. And then Holles just has the composure to just stop, pass it to Patrick Schick. Schick scores 2-0, game over. And it was pretty, it was game over as soon as the red card happened because there was a sense of inevitability, inevitability about it, really. And now Schick has four goals and he's now emulating, looking to emulate Milan Baros. With the uh, golden boot, of course, Barris scored five goals in 2004. Robin Wayne Rooney, but uh, we'll uh, forgive him for that one. Czech Republic just, they, they picked them off on the counter. There's just no way that I felt that the Dutch were ever going to get into the game, really. At first, though, the, the checkout ball wasn't really there before the uh, sending off before the goals. Savicic, he was um, he's pretty decent with his deliveries like popping up on the left popping up on the right and um, providing Thomas Suchek with a, a good header wide and Suchek in these instances was doing what Wijnaldum I think should have been doing for the Dutch arriving late in the box he wasn't he's more on the precipice Wijnaldum I thought a lot whereas Suchek was taking the game by the scruff of the neck you've got Patrick Schick shooting from distance they were restricted avenues at first really for Czech Republic because the defence I thought to be fair to the Dutch the defence before the red card was uh, it was good. The defensive line was fine. You've got Frankie de Jong, as I say, dropping into that left centre-back role with Daley Blind going to left-back. And it, the structures were in place and they were a lot better. They've improved a lot better defensively, but as we've seen, obviously, when the tough gets going, so to speak, they just had no answer for... or refused to have an answer for tactical situations that would arise. And obviously, Czech Republic, we all know it's like almost like a caricature. They are a physically dominant team, which is why he's gone with Marlon and Memphis. But let's go back to Czech Republic. Let's praise them rather than lament the Dutch. The game plan was simple, really. Find Schick, find Masopust, Barak, Savic. Peel, allow them to peel off Patrick Schick. Thomas Suchek attacked the ball from deep and obviously that dominance in the air. Felt for the first goal and obviously the uh, plan of allowing the, the rotating cast of players behind Schick to peel off Schick obviously seeing with the second goal as well with Hollish coming in from deep, finding him and then obviously that's goal two and that's your game plan. Two stages of the game plan combining for both goals and now Czech Republic are faced with Denmark in the quarterfinal and on the face of it, Denmark get a quote-unquote lesser name but I have a feeling that um, Czech Republic at least aren't the team that Denmark want to face. I think they're going to be a harder test, the sterner in defence, bit more physical of course I think playing the Dutch would have suited Denmark a lot more as I say like like with um, Italy and Belgium Netherlands are going to play they're going to leave a lot of space in behind for Denmark and Denmark as I said yesterday I felt I was confident that Denmark would beat the Netherlands I'm less confident that um, Denmark will beat Czech Republic they're on a bit of a roll now aren't they obviously they, they didn't put it all into the England game but you always felt that they could have at least tested England a bit more in that game, really. And a Denmark-Czech Republic 
match for a semi-final place. If you're either one of those, you'd take that every day of the week, wouldn't you? And anything can happen. Anything can happen even more so in a semi-final. So it is opened up massively. But um, we're not going to go into the uh, kind of half of the draw thing for the uh, for the uh, head of the England-Germany game. What next for the Dutch? Well, Frank de Boer surely has to go now. I think uh, they weren't entirely convincing, even though they had nine points in the group. It was a very easy group, to be fair. And I said that they, after the very first game, I said they were not going to do anything in this tournament if they don't uh, shore up defensively. Of course, they did that incrementally, I think, throughout the tournament. But obviously, they were always this defensive absence away from being a catastrophe. They missed Virgil van Dijk, of course. And when Mathis de Ligt comes off, it's a you know, full-blown catastrophe. But that's an excuse. They should have beaten teams more resoundingly. And they should have beat Czech Republic here with the talent that they have. But uh, let's press on with the previews for today's game. We've got Croatia versus Spain. We've got France versus Switzerland. Easily Spain's biggest test by far in this tournament. They're away from Seville, which I think could be a good thing. We've seen yesterday with a pitch in Seville. It's an absolute disgrace. Copenhagen will be a better pitch, better to uh, utilise Spain's passing abilities and how they like to keep possession, keep the ball to a metronomic degree. And as for Croatia, I think they should continue with the 4-2-3-1, bring in, keep Bruno Petkovic, keep in Nikola Vlasic. Two great midfields will be going at it. Um, we've got Modric either in the number 10 or the pivot. He might drop a little bit deeper to match Spain's 4-3-3 with that one. Obviously, Kovacic, Brozovic, I think they'll both, they'll both start as well with, alongside Modric. Player who won't start, though, will be Ivan Perisic, who's ruled out through uh, contracting covid Meanwhile, of course, Dejan Lovren is suspended, which probably brings in Dusk Kaleta Kar at the back, or perhaps uh, Vadiol at centre half, his much preferred position with Barisic on the left back role. And I think the match will be won based on how high um, the Croatia fullbacks can go, and I don't think they will be able to go quite high. Obviously, you've got Juranovic, who played very well in the uh, third game against Scotland, pushing very high from right back. And I think Jordi Alba's been great going forward at left back, under underrated, under you know, valued at this tournament, but I think he's been fantastic at left-back in a whole host of great left-backs, you know, Mahler and uh, among others, Gerson's. And I think Spain will just edge it slightly in Copenhagen. Meanwhile, France versus Switzerland, a bit like the Italy-Austria game, this seemingly only has one winner, but let's have a word for Switzerland. They've got a mobile defensively defensive three if they play Ricardo Rodriguez at left uh, centre-half alongside Nico Valdi and Manuel Akanji there. And I think that gives them a bit more of a chance against Kylian Mbappe on the counter. Shakiri always comes up with him, always comes up with something in a Switzerland shirt, so I wouldn't rule them out entirely. And maybe if Harris Seferovic uh, has his shooting boots on, <laughs> but I doubt that all too much. But I just think uh, France will probably revert to Adrian Rabiot centre centre mid into more of a four three one two their twenty eighteen system, and I think they'll just have enough in that midfield, especially. And um, Mbappe, I feel as though he's, he's just bubbling away and I think he'll get a couple of goals. But that is for tomorrow. We'll be covering those two games. We'll be previewing, of course, the big game. Sweden versus Ukraine alongside England versus Germany. And until then, Sidi, vive la France. Sports Social Podcast Network.